You can clap. Back, clap again. That was awkward. Okay. Good to see you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today, and we thank you for <clears throat> Resurrection Sunday. We thank you, Father, for the grace of God that is here in this room and for the amazing uh, just presence that we have together here as we fellowship and uh, we love each other and build relationships. We ask you to bless the word today in, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 How's everyone doing today? Good. It's been a good Easter Sunday so far. Um, I only want to be with you. I only want to be with you. I love that song uh, as they were singing it. And I was thinking, you know, I think everyone in the world, I don't think anybody <clears throat> would say they don't want to be where God is. I mean, people want to know who God is and where God is. Uh, we all want to be where he is, but it's, it's hard to figure out sometimes. It's hard to understand it. I think even church is hard to understand sometimes. Can I hear an amen? You know, I believe that. We do some funny things here, you know, uh, but I'd rather be, be church be <laughs> loud and fun and free. Amen. amen. Uh, I know that I'm ADD. Anyone else here ADD? That's anointed. It starts with the A is anointed Doug. I don't know. But uh, I remember even back in the day when I was trying to figure out, you know, God and church and who I was, uh, I remember what it was like for me. I, I found Christ alone. I found him in a moment of prayer. Uh, and my testimony is another story today. But I remember after praying the prayer and saying, okay, God, uh, come into my heart. Let's figure this out because I really, I really sense your presence in my life. I was trying to figure out where God was. Because if you've never been to church and if you don't know anything about church, anything about God, you're trying to figure out where he is. Because all you know is what you've seen on TV or in a movie or something, right? So I was in Seattle, Washington. And uh, I just started going from church to church. I prayed this prayer and I felt different. And I started going from church to church to church. And man, it was quite a journey. That first, first Sunday, I got up and I went to this, this one uh, particular church. And I walked in. And I thought that everyone always crossed themselves in all churches. So I practiced the cr crossing myself on the way there. And uh, so I walk into this church and this, this wonderful woman was singing, His Eye is on the Sparrow. And she had a vibrato that was so large that you could drive a Mack truck in between the moments in her voice and her vibrato. And I remember just opening my eyes going, and I'm not feeling him, but he's got to be here somewhere. Um, and then it ended and I crossed myself and I was the only one that did it. And uh, that was embarrassing. And so then the next Sunday, I went to another church, kind of a cathedral church, Catholic church up the street. And uh, this was in Seattle, and every Sunday morning, I would, they, they had a bell choir that they would practice on Saturday mornings. And so every Saturday morning, I would hear the bells. So I'm like, well, you know, maybe Jesus is there, so I'm going to go find this, this building where I hear the bells. So I go up there on a Sunday morning at Catholic Church. I don't know, any, I don't know nothing. And uh, everybody was walking through the door, and, and I wanted, I'm wanting to be respectful, and I'm thinking, hey, come on, at least they crossed themselves because I'm ready to go, Right. And uh, so I get to the door, and they stopped, and they crossed themselves. And, uh, and um, <laughs> that's how you know when our children's ministry workers are on it. There's a child had escaped <laughs> and was standing in the back with his hands lifted, crying for his parent. And out of the shadow, a superhero comes by and sweeps him up, and he's gone. Like, he's gone. Literally, that was incredible. Um, I honestly wish you could have seen it. And so I, I walk up to the door, and they stop at the door, and they, they do something, cross themselves, and then they trick me with like four crosses on the thing, and I'm like, oh, no, I don't know what to do. I'm embarrassed. I don't know how to do this. And I walk in, so I just pick a dude. I pick a guy, 
And I'm like, okay, I'm going to follow him and do whatever he does. And I don't, I don't mean to sound sacrilegious at all because this is absolutely the honest to goodness truth. I didn't know what to do. So when he walked, I walked. When he stopped, I stopped. When he got down on his knee to go down the aisle, I stopped, got down on my knee, and I was watching him. And then he kind of figured out I was watching him. So we're standing next to each other in the surface, and you know, a lot of prayers are memorized and stuff. I don't know any of the prayers. And so the only thing I had memorized, I was 21 years old, was this. And when they would talk, I just wanted my lips to move. That's all I cared about. So I was like, to all beef patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. And I wait. To all beef patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. And I was reciting the McDonald's prayer. Amen. Because we all know that God is at McDonald's. Right? So finally the guy turns to me and he says, he says, you, uh, you've never been here before, have you? I was like, no, man. He's like, you're doing good. You're doing good. He says, I need to, I need to learn your prayer, you know? So he and I are joking the whole time, but we all want to know where God is. I come, I would come to realize that Jesus wasn't in the brick and the mortar anywhere. He really is just in our hearts. Right. And, uh, that's the lesson. But when we talk about resurrection power, uh, we define that a lot of different ways, but really all that it means, and you can put the definition, John, up on the screen, but really all it means is that the true power of the resurrection is that God has made a way for us to relate to him and for God to share his plan with us for our lives. It's both things. Resurrection power is the power that God displayed in removing the wall between God and man, bringing us into relationship with him and revealing his personal plan for our lives. And so at the end of the day, the goal is simply to, to know God. And at times, we just have to get rid of all the form and all the stuff, and we just have to ask ourselves the question, okay, if, if God is real and he's working in my life, I just want to know who he is. But now let's walk through that process just for a couple of minutes so that we understand it today on Resurrection Sunday. What happened was when Jesus came out of the grave and the tomb was empty, he came out of the grave for everyone, for all of us. Everyone say all, all, not, not just for the tall people, not just for the short people. Come on. Not just for the Jew, for the Gentile, not just for the Hawaiians or the Filipinos, right? For the, the, the black, the white and the brown. Someone say hallelujah. Come on now. So it wasn't, it was for all of us. It was for everyone. So that means that if he came out of the grave for everyone, that means that we have a kind of equality and equality is very important in the Bible because because it's our equality in our need that causes us to understand the resurrection itself. There was a purpose to it, but if we're not equal in, in all of it, then we're going to miss something. So he came out of the grave for everyone. So number one, the resurrection declares our equality in God. Now I want you to check this verse out. This is Romans chapter 3, verse, uh, verses 22 to 24. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all, say all. Here we go. There's no difference, and I love that. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. So I see two things immediately. Number one, I see that we're all equal. There is no Jew. There is no Gentile. But I also see this word redemption down at the bottom which has to do with purpose and why he came and then ultimately what we're supposed to do. But equality. The problem with equality in scriptural terms is that man's issue is pride because man doesn't want to, we don't want to find our equality in our weakness. We would love to find it in our strengths. The problem is, is that we are equal only in our need. 
We like to think that we're all equal in everything else, but we're not. Some of you are smart. Some of you are like me. Amen. Some of you sing. You know, my wife sings. I dance. I, I, I have moves that you know not of, okay? Some of, you, some of you are organized. Some of you are visionaries. Some of you are organized visionaries. The same as an organized visionary. That's why he's on my team, because I am only a visionary. And there is a... Uh, there is a, a difference between each one of us. None of us are the same. You can't put us into a box. You can't force us into a, into a mold. God made us all as individuals. And so the pride in us wants to say, well, wait a minute, I'm as good as that person, or I'm as good as that person, or I'm as smart as he is. That's why, that's why there are people that do certain things that I can't do. So our equality is only in our weakness and our need, but that's hard for mankind to understand. And we spend our whole time trying to impress, our whole life trying to impress everybody. You know, have you ever filled out a job application? I think you should fill out a job application once a year just so you can write a bunch of nice things about yourself. Because a job application is where we just sit down and we just, we just, we just write things like, I am bright. It's like your own counseling session. You're like your own, own support group. I am bright. I'm smart. I am, actually, I'm brilliant. I, uh, I'm, I'm the best person that you're ever going to find for this job. And then we, we call all our friends and we have them write letters of recommendation and we, and we put them with it and we say, see, even all my friends agree how amazing I am. So you need to hire me. And our whole culture is based on trying to be better, trying to be something, trying to be equal or better than the person next to us. And we end up living our lives trying to fulfill some kind of American dream, some kind of thought that life is supposed to be. But, but Christianity is the antithesis of that. Christianity says, now, wait a minute. Our strength is in our weakness. Just look at Jesus. His greatest act of victory and strength was his defeat at the cross. And out of that came something amazing. So we are equal in our weakness. Uh, this man, you may have heard of uh, Friedrich Nietzsche. And I, I read these guys occasionally uh, just, to, just to remember how glad I am I'm not an atheist, okay? But Friedrich wrote this statement. This is one of his more famous statements when it comes to equality. He said this. Another Christian concept, no less crazy, is the concept of equality of souls before God. And this concept furnishes the prototype of all theories of equal rights. Okay, so Friedrich, I, and by the way, he's dead and knows better now, but I would like to make two comments. Thank you, Friedrich, number one, for admitting that, that equality is a Christian concept. And I would like to thank you, Friedrich, number two, for admitting that every Every uh, source and expression of justice and equality in the world is a Christian expression that begins on the cross. It doesn't matter what it is. Every seed of, of justice and equality in the world was uh, germinated in the fertile, blood-stained soil beneath the cross where the, where the body of Jesus hung. That's where equality begins. I love William Shakespeare because he understood this. You can see his, his worldview about God sort of in some of his plays and writings, but he said this. Shakespeare wrote, once he wrote, uh, in, in the due course of justice, none of us deserve salvation. Because he understood it. He understood that we have a need, and that need is a savior. And so if our common need uh, is a savior, then 
The Savior represents a promise. Redemption. Number two, resurrection fulfills the promise God made towards us. So the promise was, hey guys, guess what? You can't get to heaven on your own. And so I promise you that I am going to help you to get to heaven. And this process is amazing. I, I love this, pro this process. The problem is that we have sin, okay? So the Adamic nature is sin. We all make mistakes. And by the way, we're all going to make more mistakes. Someone say amen. Uh, unless, unless your husband is Jesus, amen, you're going to have another argument. And so uh, we are never going to attain what it takes for us to go to heaven on our own. It's not possible. And Jesus has set the standard so high for you and me that there is no way that we are ever going to make it. He says, you've got to be perfect to get to heaven. You have to be perfect to have a relationship with me. You have to be sinless to have a relationship with me. Ladies and gentlemen, it is not going to happen. I was watching the, I was watching the NFL you know, tryouts this last, this last uh, I guess, a couple of months ago. And I love to watch those guys do their drills, right? If you've ever seen it, all these guys who want to get drafted, they show up and they start doing drills. And all the coaches sit around and, and uh, they just watch them run. And, you know, and they all run faster than all of us, right? And, and I love to watch coaches debate how bad of a runner is when he's like one of the top 100 runners in the world. So, I don't know. I don't know. I'm doing all these drills. And then they do this thing called the vertical. And the vertical is where they, they stand in place and they jump as high as they can and they hit this little, this little uh, measuring thing, right? And they slap it and they go, oh, 42 inch vertical. That's pretty high. Mine's like 4.2. It's very close, but you have to move the decibel point, okay? Bam, or boom. So uh, can you imagine one of the coaches, one of the coaches, if in the middle of the trials, the coach comes by and goes, goes hey, watch this. And he, he reaches down, and he takes the little lever, and he moves the, the measuring stick up like 10 feet. And so every single player is standing at the bottom of the vertical thinking, if I can't, if I don't have a 42 inch vertical, I'm not going to make it into the NFL. I'm not going to make it. And they look up and the measuring mark was so high that nobody, no one had a chance of touching it. You're not going, you're not going to be drafted. It's not going to happen. This is the problem with perfection. But Jesus said it there. And so when people come to church, what happens is because God resists the sin, we feel like we're being resisted by God. And so when you come into church, if you feel resisted by God, oh, you know, there's, there's sinners in the church and there's non-sinners in the church. And the difference is the membership class. <laughs> and so when you go through the class, all your sin is left with the secretary. See? And so we have this idea that coming to church makes you a sinner or not a sinner. I have a, I have a full-blown manifested announcement from the Lord. Hey, all of us, none of us are so good that we will never struggle again for the rest of our life. Only Jesus did that. And so church becomes this weird place, this funny place where you can't be yourself and you're always worried about how you look and how you feel and, and, and what comes out of your mouth. And, and I was with a guy the other day. I, had so, I have so much fun with this guy. We've, we've been hanging out. 
We hung out three times. And every time we get together, he, he's, he's learning God. He goes to church. And we sit down. And about, no joke, 10, 10 words in, he is cussing like a sailor. He's like, mm, beep. I love Jesus. Beep. How about you, Pastor Doug? I, I love him. I love him. And I start feeling this thing inside me like, should I, should I cuss? Um, I mean, I used to cuss a lot. You know, I, I get it. I got it. I'm just, I could take the file out, open it up, and boom. But, woo. Woo. You know, I even break it out in a sweat. You know, like, woo. Okay, you know. But he's so real and he's so raw and he just doesn't care because he's experiencing. Listen, if church can't be a place where you can come in, and just be who you are. This is what Jesus did with the resurrection. He set the standard so high that no one could ever attain it. And so what he, what he did was it was so crazy, so out of control, so scandalous to the Jews. If man can't get to where God is, God goes, I'm going to go to where man is. Because they're never going to make it. So his greatest act of love was to put on flesh and come down to the earth, to the world, and become perfect and sinless as a man so that he could become the one-time sacrifice for every sin that you and I will ever commit, past, present, and future. He paid the price. He put them on his shoulders. He walked a journey. He went to the cross on Good Friday. He went to the cross, and as his spirit went to heaven, he looked up to the Father. He says, hey, it is finished. I did it. I took it all. I delivered it to where it needs to go. And now it's done. And so the way we live is that regardless of who we are, or how we feel or what we've been through, there is no resistance. The resistance has been taken away. And so what is denied to us by our effort is supplied to us by grace. He gives you the hops. He gives you the brains. He gives you the ability. He gives you, he qualifies the unqualified. This is, this is the kind of God that we serve. And so then, wait, wait a minute, number three. What about, what about this, this uh, word redemption? Redemption is a purpose word. So like, why did God, why did he do this in the first place? Um. Yeah, there are some things we will never understand, but this is what we know, that there is something in God's nature that must give himself away. That's what makes him God. He must give himself away to his children. And when his children were in trouble, he came down to earth and he gave himself away and he had purpose. And because he had purpose, guess what? We have purpose. And our purpose is to share that same love of Jesus with, with everyone around us. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, who are called according to his purpose. But this is where you figure out your individuality. In your purpose, you can't fulfill my purpose. You can only fulfill yours because God made you the way you are. God made you and designed you so uniquely different from the person sitting next to you that it demands that there must be a designer. And the design always equals purpose. And so I was not the best qualified, the most qualified to have this job. Matter of fact, I might have been the least qualified to have this job. 
my old friends from high school, even on Facebook now, they're like, are you really a preacher? And some of them don't know the difference. Are you really a priest? I'm like, yes, my child. Yes, my son, I am. And I personally absolve you of all your sins. No, 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 no. Hey, I didn't know what was going on, but I was made a certain way. I, I had a girlfriend in high school, and uh, <laughs> I thought about this this morning. I, I brought this up. I mentioned it, and I thought, man, what if she podcasts this? Amen. Um, I had a, a girlfriend in high school, and we, we dated for like three months or something because it really never lasts in high school. You, you only date because of like a zip code or something at that age. And so we had like three months of arguing. And we argued the whole time. We fought the whole time. We never, we never got along. And uh, we actually, at the end of the day, probably didn't even like each other. And one day in an argument, I was winning an argument. And uh, she, was, she was smarter than me, but I always won the arguments because she had the brains, but I had the, um, I had the volume. And, and so I would win. And one day she said to me, she says, you know what? You're such a good arguer. You should be a preacher or something. I was, I was so angry. I was like, how dare you? Like, that was an insult to me. That was an absolute insult. Oh, I don't think so. I've seen those guys on TV. What do you, what do you, why? Oh, that's it. That's the final draw, you know? You should be a preacher. Oh, my gosh. I'm a preacher. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a loud person. Our church represents the pastor a little bit. I mean, we, we're, we like to sing, we like to shout, we like to clap. You know, for me, church should be a little bit like a sports game because we get excited at sports, but, you know, Jesus rises from the dead and we go, hallelujah. <laughs> Praise the Lord, you know. All my sins are forgiven. And it's like, What? Sing his eyes on the sparrow and just, just love him. And when I go to a sports game, even with my children, um, at first glance, I got three kids and they, they all play sports, different ones. But at first glance, if you, if you meet me there, I look a little reserved. I look a little quiet, like I'm not saying a lot, but it's actually the opposite because I have had to learn to not embarrass my wife until the moment demands it. And I don't want to embarrass my church. Who is the psycho at the end of the soccer field? Oh, that's Pastor Doug from the Pearl Church. Amen. But I, I have such a passion inside of me that if I let it go at the wrong moment, and I, and I do, I plan these moments, but I'm like, come on! Come on! You can do it! You got this! What is wrong with you? Come on. Hey, hey. I'm yelling at the other coach. You know what I mean? Like I'm the head of the, of the league. You're fired. I'm, I'm yelling at the ref because the ref does not know the will of God. And righteousness must be fulfilled. You know, and so I'm like, Ralph, you're, what are you blind? Ah. And then my wife will slowly just slip away, you know, <laughs> and, and disappear until it's all over. But, you know, that's the way God made me. And I make no apologies for it because I'll tell you why. If you're in trouble 
If your marriage is in trouble and you come to me and you're like, hey, Doug, man, my marriage is in trouble. I don't know if we're going to make it. You don't want me to go, hmm. Listen, if you make it, let's do dinner. Found a great sushi place, brand new, love it. Edamame's to die for. All right, let me know. Text me. No, you want me to go, oh, no, you didn't. You didn't do it again. You didn't say it again. Look at me. Look at me. You're going to make it. God loves marriage. God loves you. It's going to be okay. I know it's like, it's like two outs, uh, two strikes, bases loaded. You have to have a home run to win, and you are the worst batter on the team. I know. But don't you dare. Don't even think. Don't even move. You are not walking away from that baseball bat. You are going to pick it up. God is going to anoint you like David who threw the stone at Goliath. You're going you're gonna to swing with your eyes closed. <laughs> And you're going to hit a home run because God's going to grab the ball, move it over the top, and he's going to hit the ref in the head. It's going to be a home run because I don't like refs. No. So, so you don't have to worry. You got this. You got this. Come on. Hello. 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 That's what you want to hear from me. You don't want me to go, whoo. Well, you know, 50% don't make it. No. This is how God made me. My purpose is ultimately fulfilled in how he made me. But my relationship with God in discovering that purpose starts in my equality at the cross with every single person on the earth. And so then what we face is this. Number four. Well, I know what time it is. The difference between every religion in the world and Jesus is that Christianity has the only leader that did all the work. You see what I mean? Hinduism, Buddhism, you got to meditate all day to get there. And the only people who ever get there are the monks because they don't do anything. You sit around all day and meditate. Islam and Judaism are both religions of the law. You got to work the system all day for the rest of your life to ever think about getting into the presence of God. But I have an announcement to make. Jesus came down here. See, he did all the work. Because we can't. We don't have what it takes. So the resurrection then, number, uh, number four, the resurrection changes everything. And everyone forever. Did I do number three? Okay. <laughs> See, you got to love me. So number four, it changes everything. Uh, <clears throat> all right, so, so the, the tomb. See, people don't argue anymore about the historical reality of Jesus. That's done. Academic integrity demands that we talk about the existence of this guy, this Jesus. There are more doc documents, there are more documented records, manuscripts of the life of Jesus than almost all other um, figures in history, more than Julius Caesar, more than Alexander the Great, more than um, you know, who, whoever. There's tens of thousands of documents that document Christmas. 
the birth of Christ and that he lived and that he walked. Have you ever wondered why there's no like war on Easter? You know, like there's a war on Christmas, but that's not the big day. I mean, it is, but the big day is when the little baby Jesus grew up and like kicked down the door of his tomb, right? It made every promise. And as a matter of fact, I just read this week, the first thing I'd ever read on Easter about, the, about a war on Easter. There's a school in Alabama who does this big Easter egg hunt. And right before the hunt this week, they took out the word Easter from the Easter bunny and the Easter egg. And all the kids rose up. The kids were like, I don't want to go see a bunny and look for an egg. It doesn't even make sense. You know, so they had this big thing. It was on the news. It was really funny. Hey, the bunny's here. Who cares? All right. Where's the Easter bunny? All right. And I want the new Easter bunny, the one from the movie that just came out where he's an Aussie with a boomerang. All right. That's the bunny I want. Josh, you know, that's the bunny. And, but this is the big day. The resurrection, the birth of Jesus is, is proof, but it's the resurrection that people have a problem with because every leader of every other religion is still in the tomb. Jesus is the only one that's not there. And on the first day, Mary shows up and the ladies show up and he's gone. People think, they're like, oh, he stole his body. Where is it? No. Angels show up. No, he's just, why are you looking for the living among the dead? And then he appears to 500 people at one time. And those people told their story to thousands of people all through the land. And in 1 Corinthians, years later, when Paul writes about them, some of those people were still living. He may have even had a firsthand like, interview with some of those folks. And then he shows, up, he shows up to his own disciples, and they don't believe him. This was not easy to believe. Thomas had to go up and, like, like in, the, in the video, see the hole in his side and his hands. Paul, who was basically an atheist, in, in the way we would describe it, I suppose, he's fighting against the church, against Jesus, against God. Paul is putting Christians in prison, cruising down the road uh, on the Damascus Road, and Jesus shows up to him and says, what are you thinking? Hey, it's me. I'm out of the grave. I'm here. I'm, it's me resurrected. Paul, what's up with you? Paul becomes, he was so affected that he becomes the most pivotal character person in human history. One encounter with a resurrected Jesus, this teacher, this guy who doesn't like Christians, becomes the most powerful, influential man in human history next to Christ himself. The apostles changed the world after Jesus shows back up. And where were they? They're out doing their thing. They're out in a boat fishing. They're doing their thing. He shows up and Jesus is like, ah, you know, what are you doing? Hey, they all come back and 36, 36 years goes by and they've changed the whole world. When the resurrection becomes real, when Jesus is more than a historical figure and he starts to come out of the grave in our hearts and we go, wait a minute, you mean I don't have to like look like him? To go to church? Nope. I don't have to have have all the Christian lingo down? Nope. Like, I don't have to be like, hello, brother. Hope you have a blessed Sunday. God bless you. You covered in the blood of Jesus? Me too. What? (laughs) Have a wonderful resurrection day where he became the spotless lamb of God. 
And I'm talking lamb of God, right? <laughs> Slaughtered, butchered, bloody, incense. That's G- what, 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 what are you talking about right now? What do you mean I don't have to like, I don't have to come from a Christian family? No, I didn't. You don't have to come from a, a background. I don't have to understand anything. No, no. All you have to do is know that Jesus took away every single barrier. The resurrection power, the power is the power for us to know him. And then for us to figure out why he made us the way he did. One last story. There was a story that came out in Leadership Magazine a few years ago. And uh, I revisited it this week just because I remember reading it and it had a real impact on my life at the time. But... um, there was a young boy named Philip. Philip was a Down syndrome uh, child. And uh, he was going to school, and his classmates had a hard time with him. Because that's really the way it is. It's, it's always learning how to communicate with a special needs child. It's never the child, really, who's, who's having the issues necessarily, but learning how to communicate. So he's growing up in the class, and this class, um, they were always frustrated with Philip. Could never, Philip couldn't get anything right, but he was always happy, and they'd get frustrated. And... Uh, one day, the teacher comes in just before Easter and says, hey, everybody, it's springtime. So our class is going to do a project together. Everybody's like, yeah. Philip's like, yeah. And she says, this is what we're going to do. She has a big, giant bag of, uh, okay, do you remember legs pantyhose? <laughs> Some of you don't. Do you remember legs? And, and by the way, that is the first time I've ever said the word pantyhose from the pulpit. Actually, the second, because I said it in first service. And they came in a giant egg. Ladies, represent here right now. Okay, they came in a giant egg. She pulls out a bag of these. She goes, kids, take these giant eggs and go out into the yard and find a sign of new life. Find something in the grass, in the trees, whatever it is. So the kids grab an egg and they run outside And then about 20 minutes later, whatever, they come in and they got all the eggs on the table and the teacher starts to open them. And the first one is a green leaf because the leaves are now now green. The the last project that we had, they were brown, orange, red. They were dying, but now they're green. She opens up the next egg and it's got a giant twig in it from like a cherry tree. And it had all the little buds up the side of the tree. And the kid's like, hey, that's mine. You know, that's, uh, the buds are going to come. It's springtime. And she goes through these things. She reaches into the pile and she pulls out an egg and she opens it and the egg is empty. So everyone's like, oh, who's lazy? Who didn't do it? Who didn't do it? Wow. Who, who messed up on the project? And, and they're kind of making fun of whoever didn't do it. Like they were lazy. And then Philip starts to get really uptight and really upset. And he goes, it's mine. It's mine. I did it. I did it. That's my egg. I did it. And then one kid says, you never do anything right, Philip. You never do the projects right. Why don't you listen? He's like, I did it right. I did it right. I did it right. And he gets all upset. And the teacher says to him, now, Philip, why, why did you not do what I asked you to do? Philip's, you know, like, I did, I did. And he says, he says, the, the, the tomb is empty. The tomb is empty, and we have new life. And, and just the silence falls on the class. Fast forward a couple of years, Philip goes to heaven. He didn't live a long life. And at his funeral, while everyone else was going by the casket and 
paying their last respects and people had flowers and different things and notes and little things to fill up that they'd written. His whole class lines up next to the casket and one after, uh, after another, every student in the class laid an open empty egg on top of his casket, his entire class. Because Philip had taught them something that they didn't understand, that they didn't know. That real life, new life, comes from an empty tomb where Jesus rose from the dead. And here they were facing Philip in his last time that they would ever see him, knowing that he was in heaven with Jesus. So what does the resurrection mean to you? I know what it means to me. I know it means that the way I was raised, things I went through, my personality, all those things, Jesus loves me just the way that I am. And now I can have a relationship with him.